0: Welcome everyone, you are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg.
1: And because they married into these families that God had told them to drive out and yet they didn't, it would ultimately lead them into idolatry and they weren't repenting of it and it would ultimately cause them to go into captivity can you see even way back at this time that they were they were setting themselves up for a rendezvous with assyria being taken away in 722 BC and then in 606 Nebuchadnezzar would come and he would take Judah and Benjamin and destroy Jerusalem no
0: today on truth in christ radio Disobedience of God can lead to heartache and pain. Hello everyone and welcome to our study today. Pastor Rob continues with chapter 7 and reminds us of how disobedience to our God can lead to pain in our lives. The nation of Israel learned this the hard way in their history by intermingling with others that God told them to stay away from they began to interact with others in the promised land and began to adopt their lifestyle and worship practices to other gods. This became painful for them in the years to come. As Christians, we too should be careful of drifting outside the Lord's will, for it can create devastating consequences. Here's Pastor Rob with today's study. The
1: things that they were doing are the things that were going on several hundreds of years later, several, a couple thousand years later. And isn't it interesting, I find, that we are really no different. No matter how many eons of time goes in between us, everyone is basically the same. We all struggle with certain things. We all struggle with obedience. We all struggle with the flesh and its various forms and the various lusts of our flesh. We all struggle. And it goes all the way back to the garden. And it goes all the way to the current. And guess what? It's going to keep going until the Lord returns. We're going to see this until the very second coming of Christ. We're going to see this sort of thing. So it's important that we are obedient. I'll never forget when I was a I was a fairly new Christian. I came up to Rochester and I was at the Eastman School of Music, and there was a, a husband and wife couple. They were about my age, and um, they were very um, they were Asian, and uh, I really liked them. They were nice, a nice couple and I, I i had befriended them and they weren't christians at all and i thought in my heart that i could win them over to christ and i had the right heart in it but i found as i started to hang out with them as i and they were they were really excellent musicians they were um they were doing very well in the school very good players so I enjoyed hanging out with them, but what I found is that they became more of an influence upon me than I was on them. And the Lord spoke to my heart about it, and I had to just kind of separate myself from them. And um, and I did. And, and and it was painful. It was painful because I'm like, you know what? <laughs> if I would have just kept my distance and just loved them from a distance and, and kept my, from getting involved in this way, I probably would have been a better influence on them, right? But instead, I get my I get in there, and I mess it up, and I know that that God had forgiven me. But, you know, that's what happens. We have to be careful, you know. Verse 3, he says, Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, and nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. And so the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. And you know, if you think of it, because of this lack of separation, it would, it would lead to so much death and heartache. And because they married into these families that God had told them to drive out, and yet they didn't, it would ultimately lead them into idolatry, and they weren't repenting of it, and it would ultimately cause them to go into captivity. Can you see, even way back at this time, they were they were setting themselves up for a rendezvous with Assyria being taken away in 722 B.C. And then in 606, Nebuchadnezzar would come and he would take Judah and Benjamin and destroy Jerusalem. All of those, the results, because of those things, you follow the, you trace it all back and you see that it was because they didn't allow themselves to be separate. They didn't, They weren't completely obedient to the Lord. It's funny how just a little bit of disobedience can lead to so much heartache and pain. So much heartache and pain. And sometimes it takes years and years and years. And the interesting thing is if you look even at our Arab-Israeli conflict that we have today, it all goes back to Abraham, the decision he made. When God says, I'm going to give you an heir to your throne. Well, we're kind of old, Lord. (laughs) Just get Hagar, you know. Hagar, remember her, Lord? And, and so he circumvents God's process and God's way of doing things, takes matter into his own hands, and now a new race of people that is being created. And through that, through eons of time, through hundreds of years, now we have these two groups fighting each other. Today, it's happening because of one man's disobedience. And that's kinda of scary for me because I think about well how many times have I been disobedient and what is gonna be the track what is gonna be the the result of that down the road in my daughter's life. Now obviously we're not perfect, you know, and that's where prayer comes in, that's where confession comes in, that's where repentance comes in, and that's where disclosure comes in you know, confessing to one another your faults. You know, I, I'm the first one when I when I do something and I know it's wrong and I and I haven't been the example for my own daughter. I'm the first one to go to her and say, honey, you know what? I really blew it. You know, the Bible says that we're to do this and I did this. You saw me disobey the Lord and I want to tell you, honey, that there's not going to be good fruit of this and don't do what I say or don't do what I do. <laughs> do what the Lord says, right? And you know, this was the problem with Samaria. Remember, Samaria was that little piece of land, that little area between Judah down here, there was Samaria, and then there was Galilee up here. And in Jesus' day... Uh, the 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 people of Samaria were were seen as half breeds. They were looked down upon. That's why in John chapter four we had this incident where John or Jesus goes into he, he's he's going from Judea up to Galilee. As you can see up on the the screen up here, he was going to be going. From down here, and and usually what the Jews would do is to go from Judea up to Galilee, they would cross over into Perea over here on the eastern side of the Jordan and go up around and then go up into Galilee, right? Because they didn't want to be defiled by going through this land of half-breeds. Because when... The king of Assyria came and took the northern ten tribes captive. Some of those people, some of the Jews, escaped deportation and they stayed in the land. And what uh, the king of Assyria did is he brought in Babylonians and others from different countries and he put them into this land. And what happened is, is those Gentiles and those Jews started to intermingle. They started to worship the same gods as the, the Babylonians. And so what they did is they had these race of people that were half Jewish, half something else. And so now the Jews look at them with disdain. But I love what it says in John chapter 4, because John, uh, as Jesus was on his way going from Judea up to Galilee, he says, this is in John chapter 4 verse 1, Therefore when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, uh, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed. Notice, he left Judea, he left down here, and departed again to Galilee. And the natural way would be to go over here. That's what they all did. But he need, needed to go through Samaria. He wanted to go right straight through. And you know the reason why. Because he had a date that was a destiny that this woman at the well. And for him to be talking to a woman was a no-no. You didn't talk to women, especially if you're a Jew. The Jews didn't talk to the Samaritans at all. So now you've got this religious man who he was already looked up to at this time. Now he's going and he's not only entering the land, he's not only um, talking to a woman, but now he's requesting water for her to give him something to drink. And you remember what had happened. But Samaria was just like that kind of thing. Samaria was a lot like that. Verse 5, says but these but thus you shall deal with them you shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire notice that you shall destroy their altars as you go into these lands these are the things you must do now back in exodus uh, what's interesting is that god had a special plan for how his altar ought to be built in Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 22, it says Then the Lord said to Moses, he says, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven, and you shall not make anything to me. I'm sorry, you shall not make anything to be with me. Gods of silver, gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves. And also, concerning the altar, an altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. And so he tells him it has to be done this way. And if you're going to build it out of stone, you can't put a tool on it. Because as soon as you add a tool to build this altar, you've polluted it. So it's got to be ugly. (laughs) Because what's going to happen on that altar is ugly. Sin is going to be atoned for on that altar. I don't want you to make something that looks like Madison Avenue. It's got to be made of earth or of stone. Plain, simple purpose is what God was looking at. But notice... And so it makes you wonder, why was this warning given? Why was God giving this this warning for them? Well, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 16, and we're going to find out why. 2 Kings chapter 16. Again, we're fast-forwarding hundreds of years now during King Ahaz's reign. And it's interesting here in 2 Kings chapter 16, we're going to look at verse 10 and just go down through verse 18. Because what was going on at this time is Pekah, king of Israel, and Reason, the king of Syria, they were coming against the king of Judah, King Ahaz. So there's a, 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 a northern kingdom. There's a southern kingdom at this time, right? The northern ten tribes, the southern two tribes. The king of the uh, northern ten was Pekah, king of Israel. And then Reason, the king of Assyria, they were all coming against now King Ahaz. And so King Ahaz is now getting a little bit uh, upset and concerned about his own welfare. So in verse 10 here it says, Now King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria. Notice, the king of Assyria, not the king of Syria. The king of Assyria. Two different nations, two different groups. He was coming to King of Assyria and he saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to uriah, the priest, the design of the altar and its pattern. According to all its workmanship, and so he's making a blueprint of this, writing it down, saying, "I want you to build one just like this. This looks so nice. Let's make one just like it. It looks so awesome. Then Uriah the priest built an altar, according to all King, Haz, King Az, I'm sorry, King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Urijah the priest came. And he he made it before King Ahaz came back from Damascus. And when the king came back from Damascus, boy, there's a lot of words there. You get tongue-tied. The king saw the altar, and the king approached the altar and made offerings on it. Now, as a king of Judah, was he supposed to make offerings at all? No. He's from the line of Judah. Who was supposed to make offerings on the altar always? The Levites, right? So here's the first no-no that he did. He took and built and put offerings on this. And so he burnt, verse 13, his burnt offering and his grain offering, and he poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of of his peace offerings on the altar. And he also brought the bronze altar. This is the one that was made by made, um, uh, by Solomon, right? It was made of acacia wood and it was overlaid with bronze, right? And so he brought the bronze altar, which was originally made for the tabernacle and was brought into the temple once it was made. And so, which was before the Lord, from the front of the temple, from between the, uh, from between the new altar and the house of the Lord, and he put it on the north side of the new altar. So he puts the, the original altar off to the side. We got a new cart. We got this new thing. We're going to put it front and center, and we're going to put the old stuff in set it over there. And that's exactly what he did. He took out the old, bring in the new. Nice, look at that thing. Nicely chiseled little nice little design to it it's got little thrush pipes down the side flames red flames see all the guys are going yeah the ladies are going what are you talking about you know what i'm talking about okay so he comes and uh so he puts it on the north side and then in verse 15 then king a has commanded eurijah the priest saying on the great new alt notice the great new altar This great new altar, burn the morning offering and the evening grain offering. The king's burnt sacrifice and his grain offering with the burnt offering of of all the people of the land, their grain offering. And let me just cut to the chase here. What he was doing is, you know, God had a specified order of things, and now he's doing something different. He he wants to do something. And so why was God in this this verse here, in verse 5, But thus you shall deal with them, you shall destroy their altars, Because I don't want you to make anything like it. I've already told you how to build the altar. These are my designs. Be obedient. Very simple. But break these altars down when you go into these places. Break down their sacred pillars. Cut down their wooden images. Burn their carved images with fire. In other words, don't have anything to do with it. And he had to tell them because several hundred years later, even through their time there, they were struggling and having problems with this. But now even a king of Israel, the king of Judah, the king of Judah, From the line of David, Solomon, all the way. Now King Ahaz, now he's walking away from all of these things. So God puts these things in there for our admonition, for our teaching, for our learning. And certainly they didn't learn the lesson, unfortunately. And unfortunately, sometimes I don't always learn the lesson. It's interesting how he was even pious enough to go through the, the, uh, the, the, the sacrifices themselves. Isn't it funny how you can go through the sacrifices go through them, but, but deny the very principle upon which those sacrifices were made. The very foundation of that altar was supposed to be made a certain way. But now it's a new thing, but I'm still going to do it. It's hypocritical, isn't it? Because now I'm doing my own thing, but I ha- it, it brings to the mind, my mind the verse having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Denying the power thereof. Let's go back to Deuteronomy verse 6 it says you are a holy people to the lord your god the lord your god has chosen you to be a people for himself notice a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth and it's not that anybody else was any more different than they were but god had uh, he had a plan for the israelites he had a plan for the jews the very word of god would come through them the very messiah of the of the entire world would come through that line so God had a very special plan, and he wanted to set them aside. That's why he, the, 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 all of the codes and the testimonies and all these things were very, he, he wanted to set them aside. That's why circumcision, everyone else weren't circumcised. But he said to them, he says, I want, you to be, sir, I want you to be so different. Even in your flesh, I want you to be different. And God has a right to do that, doesn't he? He purchased them. He saved them. He brought them out of the the house of bondage. And just as the Lord has saved us, we are a purchased people. Isn't that what it says in in Peter? We are now a purchased people. And I love that, a peculiar treasure. That's who you are. So smile when you look in the mirror in the morning. You can say, you know what? You are a peculiar treasure. And then laugh. Okay? It's good because that's the way that God sees you. The Lord, verse 7, did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, nor, were, nor um, for you were the least of all peoples. And again, this seems to be the Lord's way. He never takes the big. He always takes the small, the insignificant. He, humbles. he who humbles himself will be exalted, and he who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who is greatest among you, let him be your servant. It's always the opposite from the world. But because, verse 8, the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God, and the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Notice that. With a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments commandments and i I love that you know i look at uh, when you think of this hebrews 11 verse 6 it says but without faith it is impossible to please god for he who comes to god must believe that he is that he is almighty god and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him and now when you go back and you look at that he keeps mercy for a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments who diligently seek him I want to be diligently seeking the Lord in the days that we live in because, folks, things are getting more interesting as we go. And don't let yourself be sidelined. Don't let yourself be uh, put out of the way. We need to gather like this often to be encouraged, to be stirred up, to be exhorted, sometimes to be corrected. I know as often as sometimes when I'm reading or sharing, I'm, I'm being corrected. You're just not seeing internally what's happening. <laughs> there's, there's a mixer going down in my heart, and there's a mixer going on, and the Lord is stirring things up even as I read. Verse 10, And he repays those who hate him to their face, to destroy them. And he will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him face to face. And you know, this is true. And God, ultimately, at the very end of things, in Revelation chapter 20, we see this. He is going to repay to the face every single human being that has stood before him and says, you will not reign over me. And God will allow them their choice. See, God doesn't send anybody to hell. They make the choice. They make the choice. It is all on them. All on them. It's never upon the Lord. His delight, his heart, is that many would be saved. Right? He gives everything necessary for salvation. He even gives the faith to believe. And yet there are people who are going to choose to disobey, choose to reject him. And one day they will stand before him as in the great white throne judgment. Let me just read it to you in verse 11 of Revelation chapter 20. It says, Then I saw, John is seeing this vision, and this is at the after the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. This is at the end of that time period. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. Notice, books were opened, and another book, singular, was opened which is the book of life, one book, the book of life and other books. Huh. By the, and, and, and all the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Do you realize that all, every deed that you've ever done, as an unbeliever, and, and you know, before we came to Christ, our, our, our list was there too. But a believer, you won't stand at the white throne judgment You've been forgiven. There's a big erase marks of all that stuff. <laughs> Saved by the blood, says, stamped. Saved by the blood, all your things. But for those standing before the Lord at that time, they will see a list of everything that they've done. And God has the ability. He could do it with a whole room of people all at once. He could make them known, make it known to them out of everything that's written in that book. He can just think it right into their heart and their mind. And in an instant, they can, be, they can understand they're guilty. And they're going to be like, and there's no escaping that judgment. And that's the unfortunate thing. That's what hurts God. You think he enjoy, he's going to enjoy this moment? This is going to be the most horrific thing in the entire universe that's ever happened this moment. Because everyone who has been dead, whether they're in the sea, and the land, they're all going to be resurrected, and they are going to stand before a holy God. The book is going to be open and their names are not going to be found written there and all of the things that they've done are going to be written there. Everything. The judge is going to lay out the charges and they're all going to be there laid bare. And not one person who's there will enter everlasting life. They will enter everlasting destruction. Bodies that can withstand the lake of fire forever and never be quenched. Their bodies never burning out and fizzling out. They will live for eternity. Do you understand? That is really
0: hard to say. But it's true. It's true. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can also listen to these messages on your mobile device by going to Calvary Chapel of Rochester on Google Play or Apple Podcast. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth.